Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation. Today is February 17th, 2022, and I am delighted to be here with Jihad Abu Salim. Jihad is finishing his PhD in the History and Hebrew and Judaic Studies Joint Program at New York University, and is the Education and Policy Coordinator of the Palestine Activism Program at the American Friends Service Committee. Thank you so much for being here, Jihad. Sarah, for having me. A few words of background before we begin. FMEP has just launched a brand new initiative, a Palestinian non-resident fellowship, through which two Palestinian scholars and advocates will join FMEP in conceptualizing, hosting, and participating in webinars and podcasts for a year. Our inaugural fellows are Jihad Abu Salim and Dr. Maha Nassar. This fellowship seeks to help correct a historic pernicious imbalance, the absence of Palestinians from conversations about their lives, histories, experiences, and futures. FMEP is trying to right that wrong. In our public conversations, we try to amplify the voices of Palestinians, and we are so excited to be able to invite two fellows to join us for 2022, and so honored that Jihad and Maha are joining us. So Jihad, we're talking to you today. Will you please tell us about yourself, where you're from, where you work, anything else about yourself that you want to share? So much again, Sarah Ann, for this kind invitation and um, for the opportunity to join FMAP as a non-resident fellow for this year. Uh, this has been one of this year's really great, great news for me personally and for a lot of my friends who uh, and colleagues who have been telling me for a long time, why don't you, you know, do a podcast or do a, se a series of webinars on regular basis? So uh, here we are. Um, I'm really excited to to be doing this. Uh, so um, my name is Jihad Abu Salim, as we uh, we we talked about earlier. I am a Palestinian from a, a city called Deir el Balah. Uh, which is located in the middle of the Gaza Strip. Uh, it's where I grew up. I was born in Morocco. My parents returned to uh, the Gaza Strip to Palestine after uh, the Oslo Accords. And um, I was seven years old when, when my family returned to Gaza. And I grew up there. Uh, it's where my life experience has been shaped by uh, you know, what life in Gaza looks like and the events that have unfolded ever since uh, my family and I stepped foot in, uh, in Gaza. And uh, yeah, so I spent most of my life in Gaza. I, I did my uh, undergraduate education there. I studied business administration at Al-Azhar University. Um, I also studied uh, a diploma of Hebrew uh, language and its teaching methods right before I left to the U.S. Um, and in 2013, I, I moved to New York, where I started this the Ph.D. program in history and Hebrew and Judaic studies. And um, I've been working on my research, uh, writing my dissertation. And at the same time, I have been... Uh, you know, uh, working with 
several initiatives, projects um, as a volunteer, but also uh, currently as full-time staff with, with the American Friends Service Committee, uh, working with the Palestine Activism Program, focusing on uh, raising awareness and hopefully shifting policy around Palestinian issues in general, but uh, issues related to uh, the blockade on Gaza and the need for, uh, for the world in general and for the US, uh, the US public, politicians, decision makers, to hear the voices of Palestinians in Gaza and, um, and understand the severity of the blockade and take action to uh, address the ongoing humanitarian crisis, but also uh, the historic and political roots of Gaza's current predicament. So this has been one of the areas I focus on. In addition, of course, to writing, uh, journalistic and academic writing on Palestine, uh, the Arab uprisings, uh, and uh, you know, commenting on uh, current events, uh, events like the Great March of Return, for example. Uh, I was part of efforts to uh, highlight the crimes that were committed against uh, Palestinians as they protested. So um, yeah, and I've been living in the US for, this is my eighth year living in, in the US. Um, and I haven't been able to uh, go back to Gaza since I left. So uh, uh, I, I guess this is also a chance for my family there to uh, listen to, uh, to me and hear what I have to say um, through this great programming. Um, again, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to join you, Sarah Ann, and, uh, and I'm really happy to, to be working with FMAP for uh, this year. Thank you, Jihad. We are so happy to have you um, and so happy for so many people to get the opportunity to, to, to listen to you and to hear what you have to say and, and what you're thinking about. And you just, you, you mentioned your research um, and, and also your writing, uh, your journalistic writing. And I wanted to ask, um, so we, I wanted to ask you to talk, talk to us a little bit more, both about your research and, um, I know that your, your research focuses on Arab and political intellectual discourse on Zionism and anti-Semitism and the plight of the Jewish people in Europe um, between 1870 and, and 1948. Um, and your journalistic writing, you, you just described also uh, so many of the things that, that you're focusing on. Will you tell us a little bit more about your scholarship um, and overall about what are the questions that you're trying to answer in your work? These are good questions. Um, so in my academic project for, for, my, uh, for my PhD uh, dissertation um, developed as a result of um, my exposure to uh, literature about Palestine and about, uh, especially about Palestinian and Arab responses to the Holocaust and, and, the, and the rise of uh, Nazism and fascism and the events that unfolded during World War II. Um, I read uh, 
Professor Gilbert Ashkar's uh, Arabs and the Holocaust, which is uh, a great work. I recommend that people really read this work. And um, it, it opened, you know, like it, it created an interest for me. So I, uh, I wanted to see what uh, Professor Ashkar was responding to in terms of literature on the topic. Um, and, you know, as, as a Palestinian, I grew up, of course, um, seeing and hearing and reading about um, Hajj Amin al Husseini's uh, meeting with Hitler as uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, Israeli media and pro Israel media and the West, especially. Uh, has consistently highlighted as a way of saying, look, Palestinians um, are bad. And this is, you know, one of the proof of, one of the, you know, uh, proofs of how, uh, you know, they, they collaborated with the Nazis and took the uh, wrong stance during World War II. Um, reading Professor Ashkar's book opened my eyes to the, diversity and richness of Arab responses to the Holocaust. And, um, and it allowed me to, to look at this issue and, 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 base, and understand the nuances behind many of these responses, uh, some of which were bad, but there were many, many, uh, a large number of responses that condemned the Holocaust, uh, condemn the Nazis uh, and also proactively uh, supported an anti-Axis position during the war, not for strategic purposes, but from an ideological point of view. There were a lot of Arabs who and Palestinians who uh, were liberals or were on the left who were concerned with what will happen to the world of, if these forces win the war. Um, so I started looking at the pre-1948 Palestinian press, and I started looking at works that were published by Palestinian writers and intellectuals during the war. And in the process of looking for these things, I found also um, books and publications that were published before the war, unrelated to the war, World War II, but also uh, were ones where these were several intellectuals com commented on the treatment of Jews in Europe and engaged Zionism as an idea and a project and, and had an opinion to or many opinions about um, the Zionist project as is one of the ways to resolve the quote unquote Jewish question. Uh, so I was personally fascinated by the richness of, of this uh, body of literature. And, um, and as a Palestinian, uh, I realized that 1948 was not just a disruption in the sense that 
you know, Palestinian society as we knew it before 1948 was completely destroyed and the, the entire country was transformed uh, and geographic fragmentation and separation that we still experience today has resulted as, as a product of 1948. But I also realized that 1948 represented um, an intellectual disruption as well. Palestinians, uh, you know, the, the Palestinians lost a significant library uh, and, and many of the pre-48 intellectuals, uh, you know, were either disillusioned, they, they you know, lost, they lost interest in continuing what they did before the war because of the severity of the moment. Uh, so I wanted to uh, expand the scope of the project, um, not only from focusing on examining works that were written during World War II and as a response to World War II, uh, but I also decided to look at works uh, that deal with these broad themes, uh, the, the plight of the Jewish people in Europe, the mistreatment of European Jewish communities, the rise of anti-Semitism, uh, the introduction of un European anti-Semitic discourse to the Arab world, and uh, and Zionism, because all of all of these themes overlap when it comes to Palestine. Uh, so, for example, I look. At, there are several instances that I uh, I examine, and I look at you know, and try to locate them in the, in the context of uh, intellectual movements, and, uh, transnational thought, how people thought about themselves, their identity. Uh, and I start in 1870 because in 1870, the uh, Ottoman government, uh, banned and censored the publication of one of the early translated texts that uh, promoted the accusation of uh, ritual murder, also known as blood libel, uh, after a large campaign uh, that Lebanese, Syrian intellectuals led uh, pressuring the Ottoman government to uh, to ban this this piece of literature published by an unknown author, an anonymous author, who didn't dare to put his name on the book. So, so I start in this moment because it's also the moment um, that many scholars of uh, of the region uh, view as the moment where when the Nahda or the the Arab Renaissance movement begins. And then I look at the like I look at few instances in the late 19th century of how Jews were talked about in the press in the Nahda slash Arab Renaissance uh, writing. But then I my focus begins with Zionism when Zionism becomes a significant political factor in in the region, uh, especially around World War One, and then I. I compare uh, and I, uh, you know, and I analyze what kind of reactions and 
and whether the Zionism becoming this important factor has shifted or changed the ways people talked about Jews, whether in the region or globally, um, and how people responded to the constant introduction of anti-Semitic discourse coming from Europe. So this is, you know, in briefly <laughs> my, my project. My project ends in 1948. Um, so I, I look at the evolution of uh, this writing until the Nakba. And hopefully in the future, uh, I can, I'm, I'm hoping to also examine uh, writings from after 1948 and, and, and look at them comparatively and see to what extent did 1948 change the different ways Arab scholars, writers, intellectuals um, talked about these issues. Wow, thank you. I have so many questions based on what you just explained. May I ask a couple of follow-up? Of course. Um, if you if you were to to to, to summarize in just a, a couple of of sentences, what do you want Palestinian audiences to take from your research? What what would you say? This is part of uh, reclaiming our history and our narrative. Uh, you know, today when when Palestinian students on, on campuses uh, are told, you know, Amin al-Husseini sat down with Hitler, so and so, I feel like it's important for Palestinians to also know that uh, writers like Muhammad Najati Sidqi was one of the founders and, and key leaders of the, the Communist Party in Palestine uh, wrote in 1941 or 1942 a book about uh, a book entitled Islam and Nazism, basically refuting Nazism uh, as as you know as an ideology of evil that um, that does not uh, that is at odds with. Arab Muslim values and, and the values that this intellectual and many people from his milieu believed in. So for me, this is about reclaiming our lost history, our lost thought. Um, and one of the ironies of this project is that some of the books I'm interested in, in looking at and reading and analyzing um, can only be found at the Israel National Library. Um, and as a Palestinian, I from Gaza with the Gaza ID, I can't access that place. So, and I was only, and one of the things that really helped my project was the fact that the Israel National Library uh, digitized uh, thousands of Palestinian newspapers from the Mandate era. Uh, so I was lucky in, in the sense that I can access these things now, like virtually, but, this is about reclaiming this history. This is about um, challenging the, the disruption that happened to our society and our culture and our thought and, uh, in 1948. Thank you. Um, 
will you say why the books that you want to read are only in the Israeli are in the Israeli National Library? Some books, um, publications uh, that were printed in Palestine uh, and were on people's shelves were confiscated during the 1948 Nakba and they're stored there. And, and there's a great documentary about, uh, about the history of, of how these books ended up in the Israel National Library called The Great Book Robbery. Uh, there are copies of some of these books in, for example, in, uh, in the libraries of Iraqi universities. Um, you can see them cataloged online, but it's also difficult for me to, to access Baghdad at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so this speaks to, you know, to the reality of, of Palestine in particular, but the region in general, right? Mm -hmm. The question of movement and as a, as a, as a privilege uh, is one of the things that, uh, you know, people in academia, especially in Western academia, they, they don't take seriously, but when you are restricted as an individual because of the piece of paper you carry, it, it becomes a, a really a huge challenge. Uh, luckily, those I was able to find a lot of sources in, in US libraries. Uh, and in one, in, in one instance, I, I borrowed a book from the New York Public Library that made it there in the 1940s. And I perhaps was one of the first people to check out that book to the extent that the pages like, you know, fell, uh, fell apart as I was perusing the book. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's been challenging, but also it's been a rewarding process to uh, collect these fragments and piece them together and learn uh, about one's history as, as I'm doing this project. Thank you for all of that. Um, and and I, I feel like your description of, of accessing the books is this, is this moment of, you're talking about ideas and how ideas travel and, and yet everything is also so deeply and very much about lived experience. It's a, it's a, it's a material process also. So the ideas can travel, but the books were looted and the people were driven from their homes and their libraries were confiscated. And now they're parked in a library in a place where you are not allowed to access them. You are prevented from accessing them. Um, and here you are piecing your history back together and doing this great service with your research. Um, I'm so glad to hear about it. And so thank you for that. Um, I have more research questions for you, but I'll save them for another time. And now I want to ask you um, to talk about this moment in time, actually. Uh, you've, you've led us here, um, and this is so much about the, what you focus on in, in your other writing um, also, but tell us, what does this moment in time and in history mean for Palestinians, mean for Palestine? How do you describe where we are now? Uh, I don't know where to begin, but I, I'll, I will try. So 
this is an important moment for Palestinians for many reasons. Um, we, we haven't been as fragmented as we are today as Palestinians. Um, politically, geographically, uh, but also we haven't been as eager to unite like we are today. And we saw that during the May uprising when Palestinians connected in their struggle um, through social media, um, from their exile um, to their homeland, Palestinians stood up together in uprising. Um, this is an important moment because Palestinians are facing an ever escalating and ever increasing campaign of ethnic cleansing and erasure from their land. And uh, while international organizations, human rights organizations, experts, analysts are warning against the dangers of the Israeli settlement, expansionism, and all of these things. Uh, unfortunately, not much uh, change is happening on the level, on the formal level. We're still stuck in the, in the old uh, rhetoric, old discourse around the quote-unquote conflict and promises for a two-state solution that no one knows when it will ever uh, be realized. At the same time, there is an ever-growing support from people. Uh, we see the, the un unprecedented support for Palestinians uh, ac across, you know, movements and uh, on social media, we see celebrities speaking up, we see, uh, you know, protests that are massive in, in their size, and we see the, the passion that has been growing in supporting the Palestinian cause for liberation, independence, equality, and justice. Uh, and we don't know when this uh, when these examples of uh, and indicators of this growing support will translate into shifts in policy. But this is an important moment, and it means that the work that Palestinians have put for decades, uh, whether in the diaspora or in, in, in the homeland, in terms of mobilizing uh, you know, ourselves and our allies and addressing the international public opinion, uh, speaking out when now it's slightly safer to speak out. Palestinians, especially in the US, have paid heavy prices from, sometimes from their lives and from their livelihood, from their dignity, from uh, their ability to feel safe at their homes just for speaking up and for speaking out about what's happening. So 
this is an important moment and it's a, it's a watershed moment i i believe uh, and that will be remembered as as a moment when we have all the information and uh, we are being tested what are we going to do with this with this information what are we going to do with you know, esteemed human rights organizations saying this is apartheid, uh, shifts in the mainstream media. Uh, is this going to translate into a serious effort on the part of the international community to, uh, to make the changes that are required in order to put an end to the cycle that we have been living for over 70 years? So this is where we are. And I think, and I think what we are doing, this conversation and the conversations that we're going to have uh, is going to be important in making sure that the knowledge is out there and people know, but what's left is the responsibility, is people taking action based on this knowledge because knowledge entails responsibility and, and, and we are, and, and this, if this isn't the right moment to, me, to make the, the proper moral and even practical decisions, right, about the situation in Palestine, then when? Um, so yeah, that's where I think we're, where we are right now and where we're heading. And I think, and I really hope that the international community seizes this opportunity and, um, and helps create and reconfigure the reality on the ground so that we don't um, experience more of this pain and more of this misery. Thank you for that. I, I, I want to ask you then right away, you're going to be an FMEP fellow for 2022. You just said knowledge, knowledge entails responsibility. What do you most want FMEP's audiences to know or, or to be challenged by? I would love for people to listen. Um, what I and Professor Mahanatsar um, are hoping to do as part of this, the programming through FMAP is to uh, not just respond to things that are happening on the ground or to refute claims from our opposition. We are, uh, and I say that on, uh, on my behalf and also uh, Professor Maha, and she will uh, also talk in detail about that. The hope is to introduce the audience to aspects of the Palestinian story and Palestinian narrative that can help us reclaim this lost history, but can also inspire um, a vision for a better future and a vision for uh, change that uh, can be inclusive and just and embraces equality and justice for all. I feel that people have been stuck with um, a certain kind of politics when it comes to Palestine, Israel, where the uh, politics that limit imagination and politics that, uh, that 
uh, are very narrow and, uh, and, and limiting. So what we're hoping to do is to proactively introduce our story uh, and what our country, what our peoplehood, what our existence means and represents, not just, you know, uh, not just as part of a nationalist narrative, but also as the collective experience of millions of people uh, who lived in the place we call Palestine for generations. Um, and we also hope to introduce the audience uh, to, to new ways of understanding and analyzing and reflecting on the reality on the ground, rooted in this rich and significant history that has been, uh, that Israel and its allies have been, always been trying to erase and remove. Uh, so this is what we hope to achieve. And I really hope that people listen and pay attention and, uh, and engage and ask questions, um, but also take action and be inspired to, to do what is right and to uh, overcome this feeling of stuckness, right? In the current political framework that are not taking us anywhere and just be brave and challenge the status quo. So that's what I hope happens. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Me too. And I am really looking forward to listening to the, the programming you bring and, and the conversations um, that, you, that you bring out into the world. And thank you so much for being here, for being with FMAP as a fellow. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Please make sure to check out the FMAP website, www.fmep.org, for more from our guest, Jihad Abu Salim, and from our other fellow, Dr. Maha Nassar, and for lots of other great content related to Palestine and Israel. And please make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast so you can stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. And you can also watch video versions of our podcast including this one on YouTube. And with that, I am Sarah Ann Minkin signing off until the next episode of Occupied Thoughts. Take care.